Hi, I'm Brian. I'm a recovering control freak. Now, I fully admit my work in progressness that uh, is going on as far as me always wanting to have control. Maybe you can relate in some way. Because we are people, just as people, like having a say so in what happens to us. If you're in a hospital, it's nice to at least be asked which life saving treatment would you prefer? At some level, many of us choose living in a country that affords us some say so. Because Lord knows there's plenty of options out there uh, that will gladly take all that control away. If there is one thing we love as human beings, at least here in the United States, it's control. If there's a choice between us being in control or us giving the reins to another person, there's usually not much of a choice involved in that, is there? You know, we call our grandkids to help us out with our phones or our computers to get them to work the way we want them to. We call banks to say, I want my money here, not there. We lock doors, taking action to control our safety. We eat smart, taking control of our health. It's scary not to be in control. It's fearful not to be in control. Maybe even scarier to have it and then lose control. Maybe if you had a relative that has gone, gotten to the point where they are going into a nursing home or assisted living or something like that, and they lose freedom, they lose control over or autonomy over their lives. Sometimes us being in control isn't always the best thing. I mean, if, there, if I am flying in an airplane, I don't want to be in the captain's chair. It's not going to go well. If I need brain surgery, I do not want the nurse handing me the scalpel. If that were to happen, I can only guarantee you one result. You'd get some really interesting sermons when I was done. That is for sure. We want, we often desire control, but is that always best? Peter, a guy who is known for being very outspoken, wants control of Jesus' mission and methods as the gospel story of Mark carries on. I'm going to hang out kind of in, in Mark 8 here, where there's a lot going on between Jesus and his buddy Peter. And Peter has just declared in front of everybody that he believes Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that happens just before what I'm going to really count, focus on today. But he's reminded right after that, he's reminded that Jesus is going to suffer and be rejected. Peter's like, no, 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 no. I said you were the Messiah. This isn't what happens to the Messiah. Not in my world. Peter wants control of the kingdom of God and how it's going to work. And Jesus, though he loves him, though he respects the fact that he is making this declaration of faith, he backs him down real quick. We see it in Mark 8, 33. It says, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. In that context, as Jesus is calling Peter out, saying, hey, you're not in control of how this whole thing is going to play out. He addresses the larger crowd and continues on. Verse 34, again, out of Mark 8. He called the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. To follow Jesus. Now, that's a pretty simple definition of Christianity, right? We fo- Christians follow, we learn from, we do our best to imitate Jesus. 
And Jesus must have loved this idea of follow me because he gives that command over 80 times in the New Testament. 87, I think, if I get the, the number right. It's kind of like an apprentice and a teacher, right? Um, where an apprentice pays attention to the teacher, pays attention to what they're doing, imitates what they're doing, kind of becomes a, a not a, a carbon copy, but a reflection of what that teacher is like. We saw last week uh, in Paul's message to Timothy, or in looking at Paul's message to Timothy, he actually says this to the Corinthians, but he gives the same idea to Tim. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says, you know, pay attention to me like an apprentice does to his, uh, to his teacher and, and model that the same way that I am working on modeling Jesus and reflecting Jesus. So let's touch on the rest of Jesus' words in that idea of Mark 8.34. Because we often hear that phrase, uh, deny yourself and take up your cross. And we, we come up with this image of of what that means. It, it, where does it lead? Someone maybe faces a struggle or they've got this sort of ongoing battle that they're fighting and they kind of spiritualize and say, this just must be my cross to bear. And I get how we can come up with that, how we can make that connection. But here's the thing, that's not what Jesus is saying when he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. I mean, that'd be, that would be like the idea of Jesus saying, take up my cross, my cross that involved very literal suffering, very literal death, physically speaking, as he would take the cross to Calvary and be crucified on it later on in his ministry. But it, he doesn't. He says, must take up their cross. Here's the thing. Deny yourself and take up a cross, they're really redundant ideas. They're, they're, <laughs> they're saying the same thing. To carry... Because a cross was a distinctly Roman way of executing criminals back in Jesus' day. Fortunately, it doesn't happen today that I'm aware of. Um, but when a criminal a criminal would carry their cross from the prison to wherever it is that they're going to be crucified, and the crowds that are seeing them carry that cross, it kind of gives them a message. I am under Roman authority. So when Jesus says, take up your cross... Notice, again, he says, take up your cross, not take up my cross. He's saying, come under another person's authority. Come under, dare I say it, another person's control. Whose, whose control are we, is he asking us to come under? Who comes in that answer? And follow me. See, when we let God have control, when we choose to come under Jesus' authority, it makes us more like Jesus. Another simple definition of what the goal of Christianity is, that Christians would look more and more like Jesus, that we would imitate Jesus the same way Paul does, as I said earlier. Jesus came under the Father's, under his Father's control when his life was on the line. Shortly before he was crucified on a cross, he is praying to God, to his Father, and he says in Mark 14, 36, he says, Abba, Father, for you, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. If there's, if there's any other way through this, let that happen. Yet not what I want, but what you want. If I can make the connections here, giving up control requires 
trust. It required Jesus to trust his father that what the plan was, difficult as it was going to be, was going to work out. He trusted him. You know, I am one, just practically speaking, I don't let just anybody watch my kids. All right? If I'm going to let you watch my children, I have to trust you. If I am at the, the climbing gym and I'm climbing a 40-foot a wall, I don't just trust any, just anybody to be on the other end of the rope. I've got to trust them. And trusting somebody speaks volumes about your view of that somebody. If I trust you with my kids, there's a lot that you can rightly infer from that. I trust you. I believe you're going to take care of them. I believe you're going to do right by them. If I trust God to take this idea in that direction, it shows what I think of God. And it rightly brings him glory. Same idea, different words, which is something that God goes after or God desires for us to do. To bring him glory. And trusting him allows us, or, or I would guess gets experienced in that way, in a way that brings him glory and honor. And Jesus then decides to throw this funky paradox at the disciples that can throw us for a loop in verse 35. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Jesus is talking about eternity here. We talked last week about how when tough times come, one of the, the blessings that we have or one of the truths that we can take hope in is that this world, this life is not the end of the story. But here's the paradox for you. Christians often trust God with eternity. No problem. What life looks like until the end of time and beyond, that's all yours, God. But trusting God with next week? Hmm. Pastor, you must be out of your mind. God's got eternity unlocked, but I am the supreme authority on today. I'm the ultimate commander on this pay period. Wait, did he just go there? I think he did. Hmm. That pastor must be out of his mind. Mm-hmm. But hey, if I'm only going to get one shot to explain the concept, I might as well go bold or go home, right? It's a, a fitting idea because, honestly, we love having control over our finances. Dave Ramsey is a um, financial coach, if you will, uh, from the, that approaches his work from the Christian perspective. And he says often, tell your money where to go before you wonder where it went. And since I'm explaining an idea that really goes beyond the idea of money, we'll talk about this and we'll kind of make a hypothetical out of it, all right? So that we can all, we can all deal with a hypothetical, at least. So if, a, if God blesses a person with money, they have a, a good job, a good salary, whatever it be, it's, all, it's sort of like God saying, I want you to use this to bless other people. And to make it simple, let's say 10% of it. Now, I get, usually when I, I get to this point in talking about the idea of money, I usually get the question, is that 10% pre-tax or post-tax? And my answer is, it's a round number, so I'm just going to use that to make this hypothetical nice and simple, okay? So I'm not going to try and get into too many uh, nuances of this idea. Just trying, to, just trying to keep it simple. It's like we had in the, the discussion last week, when we were talking about um, the thing, some of the things that we do as Christians, it comes to a place where it feels like we see the logic fail. 
Like we do things that just, we scratch our head like, how does this work? Why would we do this again? You know how many Happy Meals and Ding Dongs I can buy for 10% of my salary? God wouldn't want me to give that up, right? Well, hang with me here. If we want to glorify God, and Jesus did, and that's why he gave up control of his life and ultimately his death, and we start to follow Jesus' example in doing that, we start to notice that our desires start to come in line with God's desires. And, you know, we may desire Happy Meals and Ding Dogs, and God shifts that to having a greater desire to bring hope to people, to the point where almost those comparisons don't seem to make sense, and they start making sense. That, wow, I'm willing, I'm willing to give up a, a bag of Ding Dongs in order to, to share hope with somebody or to help meet a need for somebody else. Before trusting God, it's like that wouldn't make sense. Why would I give up my ding-dongs to help somebody else? But when we trust God and we say, you know what, I'm willing to, you say, to use these blessings for something bigger than myself to help other people out. Okay, my desires and God's desires kind of start to line up more as, as we mature. And I'm willing to give up those, that bag of ding-dongs to help somebody else pay a rent bill or to have food on their table. And God goes to work. And maybe we get to poor, yeah, I can give up those ding-dongs today. But here's the thing, all ding-dongs aside and, and happy meals aside, blessings from giving God control in our lives, we usually see them in hindsight rather than in foresight. There's kind of this order of operations that Jesus has in this paradox that he's giving to the disciples. Let me read it again. For those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Those who lose their life will save it. Again, there's sort of this order of operations. First, we lose our life. Then we save it. It's kind of like a thrill ride. You know, um, before having kids, uh, my, my wife and I were big roller coaster fans. And we've ridden some big coasters, some fast coasters, some even world, rec world record holding coasters, at least at the time. And you can read all the stats and all the um, descriptions and all the measurements and all that sort of stuff. You can even hear all the experiences of people who just got off the ride. But you don't really get it until you do the ride yourself. Another example, straight out of my life. Growing up, uh, if you've been watching for a while, you know baseball was a big part of my life as a kid. And I faced, uh, when I played, some fast pitchers, relatively speaking. You know, uh, it doesn't take much to, to be fast when you're 10 years old. But for years, as I played, a 90-mile-an-hour fastball was still this abstract idea. I couldn't wrap my head around what it meant to face that. I even, uh, I, I watched people throw 90 miles an hour. I had even seen them throw it live right in front of me. Um, I had even watched a documentary. They did a whole documentary on the fastball and seen what it does to some of the best hitters in the world. I had, I had even, I've even driven 90 miles an hour. Hope there's no police watching. That was years and years and years ago. But you know what? 
The day I stepped in a batter's box and tried to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball that was coming at me, my my whole perspective changed. Often, you know, we don't see the blessings until we take that step of faith. Again, we lose our life and then it's saved. Maybe we hear stories. Maybe we hear people sharing how they've been blessed. You know, in our church here, we have one guy who is a master storyteller. Um, When he starts telling a story, I just, I'm zoned in on him. And he tells real life stories of God doing real life wonders. And it's it's spine-chilling stuff. But when we experience it for ourselves, I'm guessing even his words wouldn't be able to capture what it feels like. Again, order of operations. First, we lose our life. First, we say, God, I give you control. I give you the reins. Then we save it. Then we get to experience those blessings. So this week, I want to put a challenge to you to finish this statement just between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to necessarily put it in the comments, though if you do, by all means, we'll definitely pray for you that you are able to, to do this well. But finish this phrase. I will submit this area of my life to Jesus Christ. One area where maybe you find it hard to let go of the reins, where you fear that idea of losing control. And maybe you will have to repeat that line to yourself many times across the week. That's okay. Say, I give this to this control over to God. I give this control over to God. But hang on to this fact. God is good and God loves you. And when we give up control and we give him control, we give him the chance to show us just how much. Let's pray together. God, thank you for blessing us with that love. That love that we can trust you, that we can turn over control of the day-to-day of our lives. Those things that, yes, you do care about. Help us to do it. Give us the courage to do it and to trust that ultimately you will bless us because of it and it will bring glory and honor to you. All this we pray in your name. Amen.